Welcome back to Mark's Madness, now part of Chunkaluta. Woo! Yay! That's yeah. the audience. We need to get like a fake <laughs> cheer crowd, right? Yeah. Yeah! Like golf clapping. <laughs> like uh, the Wii, Wii, Sport, Wii Sports. Is that? Wii Sports? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was Wii Sports. Yeah. yeah. Wii Sports golf clap. I'd like to dedicate this episode, though, to NKV Duck or at Iron Prol on Twitter, who uh, passed today due to medical reasons. Um, it's been a long time coming, but still, uh, they need about 50 grand to pay for everything. So we're going to put that in the episode notes. And uh, yeah, please. Please, please help. They're only at 23000 about as of this recording. Um, and as we all know, that is a huge hit on somebody. I could only imagine getting that big of a bill. Um, and after losing a loved one, that's the last thing you want to be worrying about. Um, just, uh, you know... Uh, Try to keep them in mind if you have some extra dollars this tax season. Uh, other than that, um, there's also a, a senator uh, named James Aberesk who helped author the Indian Child Welfare Act, Indian Self-Determination Act, and Indian Religious Freedom Act. Um, being inspired by the American Indian Movement um, actions and was one of the few good U.S. Senators that we had. Um, and, uh, you know, what he did for Indian people isn't forgotten and won't be. Um, and trust me, I think everybody can do better. So let's try to live up to a better standard these days that's my opinion anyway uh how's everybody going how's your day going david oh um i i guess other than those two things good sadness yeah and i mean i guess this is coming out a while after too so that's a little Mm sad Um, yeah yeah. March March fifth to date this episode, just for a little salute. Twenty twenty three. Shoot off guns. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Um we read books here. Yeah. We read the Red Deal here this season. <laughs> it's time to read the Red Deal. <laughs> it's time to read the Red Deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are on Area 2, page 116 of um, Heal Our Planet. It's traditional and sustainable agriculture. In, oh. Indigenous people have always been farmers and caretakers of land. Worldwide, more than half of the crops grown today originated in what is now called the Americas. Every potato in Ireland, tomato in Italy, and chili in Thailand was cultivated here first. We adjust our life ways to maintain sustainability. For example, when Puebla... I don't know if that chili thing is true. Really? I don't know if that's true. Hmm. 
because sweet there's a huge contention whether or not sweet potatoes are something we brought from Asia to the Americas or if it's something we brought back from the Americas to the Asias mm, which, which to Asias be the same way the Asias <laughs> the Asias <laughs> Area 2, Traditional and Sustainable Agriculture. David, you're up. I read first. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Indigenous people have always been farmers and caretakers of land. Worldwide, more than half of the crops grown today originated in what is now the Americas. Every potato in Ireland, tomato in Italy, and chili in Thailand was cultivated here first. We adjusted our life ways to maintain sustainability. For example, when Pueblo peoples migrated from certain areas, it was due to the realization that irrigation farming alone was unsustainable in times of severe drought. This led to the development of dry farming methods. Simultaneously, areas where natural food systems already existed were nurtured. Forest management was crucial in maintaining healthy watersheds, minimizing fire damage, and promoting healthy game animals and grasslands. Um, And that's another note, too, that I don't think we got into, but as climate change gets worse and the quote-unquote natural disasters become more common and more absorbent, and obviously, you know, those come from nature, but they're exacerbated by climate change. There wouldn't be as many or as intensive ones uh, without that. One thing that's blowing up, of course, is forest fires. And, um, yeah, like, used to be... We need to be out there raking the woods. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there needs to be raking and control. (laughs) Sorry, the Trump. Yeah. Trump audio. Uh, But there there needs to be, you know, things like control burns that before it gets to be too big. And all that went by the wayside when it became nature is just a resource. Well, like, literally, some trees... Do not reproduce unless under heat. Yeah. They have literally co-evolved with us here to the point of necessitating that wildfire that oftentimes we start ourselves at a time to manage the forests in a way that without fire trucks, we can put out the water. Well, the yeah. fire. It's very easy. Yep. And like... But colonialism has just decided, nope. Well, like a lot of people want to blame indigenous fire method, uh, fire keeping methods for starting the Amazon fires that mentioned in the previous episode. Um, but in reality, it was Bolsonaro's fucking goons that he literally gave guns to and told to go burn down and kill indigenous people to clear way for ca- cattle and farmland. Yeah. Well, I mean, even on top of that, too, that at the time, um, a lot of the the liberal quote unquote climate activists that just happened to side with Empire were all you know in unison blaming like Evo and Indigenous Bolivians for that in order to you know gain support for the very obvious deadly right wing coup that was happening in Bolivia. I'm so glad I didn't start using Twitter until this summer because mm. wow, it sounds yeah. like it sucked. Yeah, always. Oh, the the amazing thing was, like, people were, like, continuing through the Bolivian coup of finally calling it a coup and realizing that one was bad, and then still lambasting, like, Venezuela's authoritarian. It's like, you know, you know who was there, like, backing Evo when you were saying that he was causing fort fires and, like, rolled back on that when you realized it was a coup? Like, fuck. Oh, it just, it was a rough time on Twitter. It really was. Um, anyway. Oh, 
I was also going to say this is something I do on the small scale because mm-hmm. I do a gorilla garden to feed animals in the woods away from my garden, but nearby enough. So that way they'll choose that garden over mine. Mm. At least that's yeah, the hope. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, a good move. That way you don't have all your strawberries eaten by rabbits. I'm definitely going to start. Well, my hope is that my strawberries will bring the rabbits to the yard, and damn right, I'm gonna <laughs> trap them. <laughs> I was gonna try to, I was gonna try to make a rhyme, but I couldn't. <laughs> dun, dun. No, I was gonna do salt and pepper. Oh God, I was gonna. Oh, dun, I thought you. Dun, 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 I thought you were dun, going dun, for like. Khalise is that was like, supposed my to strawberries be. bring all the rabbits to the yard. Yeah, that was supposed to be it. And then I, I, my brain went, salt and pepper. Oh, salt God. and pepper is here. Oh, my God. For generations, indigenous people in what is now called California developed ways of modifying nature to not only benefit themselves, but the entire ecosystem. We might have just like gotten shut up and let the, the book read again. There we go. Um, some of these modifications include the pruning of trees to encourage fruit and nut production, the burning of meadowlands to create pastures that could support animal life, and selective harvesting of plants to encourage plant production. For years, scientific racism has worked to invalidate and exclude land-based knowledge and wisdom, such as the fire suppression regimes imposed by Spanish and American settlers who prohibited California tribes from practicing the controlled burns they had used to maintain the West Coast forests. Modern science is only now recognizing the benefits of indigenous knowledge, turning in particular to controlled burns to prevent devastating and severe wildfires in the western states, while at the same time refusing to restore lands to indigenous experts. The efforts of many tribes to acquire lands stolen from them in order to properly caretake and restore them should be supported widely as indigenous people are critical to sustainable ecosystems. And that I, that really does underline some shit, right? Like, oh, turns out you're right and we really should have fucking listened to you. Anyway, we're still in charge. Like, well, like they literally classified us alongside nature, right? Mm-hmm. And then are still going, mm-mm. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like... Just, <sighs> you're just so stupid. <laughs> Where were we? Uh, we were at extractivism and militarization on native lands disrupted our land-based economies, which had always allowed for sustainable food production. One of the first weapons of colonial violence was to destroy cop- crops... God, destroying cops would not be a method. Destroy cops, destroy cops, destroy cops, destroy That would be decolonial. Anyway, um, was to destroy crops and food systems in order to weaken people, often coinciding with forced adoption of non-native diets and outlawing the cultivation of traditional foods. For example, Spanish settlers outlawed the Mayan and Aztec people from growing amaranth, even going so far as to cut off the hands of anyone caught growing it. Later in Pueblo communities, a tithe of the best of families' crops had to be turned over to Spanish missionaries at the end of each season, and they would f- face harsh or they would face harsh punishment. Families were required to fill up le- the length of a manta, a traditional wraparound dress, with food that was then seized. Imperial borders have inhibited the flow of the. St- 
of the seed trade and knowledge sharing practices amongst native people throughout Turtle Island. Historically, native communities would have preserved seeds by sharing them with other communities so that certain plants would go extinct or wouldn't go extinct. They would they also actively worked to strengthen crop diversity. The forced relocation and displacement of native nations separated us from our lands, medicines, spiritual sites, and food sources. Indigenous people experience some of the highest rates of food insecurity. It is unrealistic to expect the most marginalized to make a full return to land-based agriculture as a primary means of sustenance. Well, also, um, it should be noted that this book forgets to mention that, like, indigenous people would do what I'm talking about with a gorilla garden. They would just, they would bring the genetics back to the plants in the wild to have basically a permaculture variety continue. I mean, Mm -hmm. to like explain it in a way that is more concise, but it's really hard because the conversation around permaculture is very muddied. Yeah. And then there's people who, um, like, I appreciate academics wanting a clarification of words. The issue is, is that sometimes academics try to clarify words without a full picture. Yeah. So then you get repeating, like, you get a new defin, you get a new word for a definition that's old. If that makes sense. Yep. Nope. That that makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> Uh, we know the crushing weight of capitalism and land theft has forced us into the wage economy. Oftentimes, the jobs available force a separation of people from their lands. We know that we cannot heal lands and the substance they provide until capitalism and colonialism no longer exist. The blatant theft of native lands for resource extraction, settlement, big agriculture, military projects, etc., is directly to blame for this epidemic of food scarcity. Projects of extraction and militarization prevent people from living off the land, and long after they are gone, they leave the land poisoned. Radioactive contamination of our lands leaves them unusable for centuries. The term food sovereignty was first defined in 1996 by La Via Camp. Campesina, an international group of peasants and small-scale farmers who sought to articulate a common response to the neoliberalism and the dominant market economy, and to defend the rights of the land and seeds. Food sovereignty has since been taken up by many indigenous people worldwide. Seed sovereignty is the right of producers to breed, harvest, and exchange diverse traditional indigenous seeds outside of patents outside patents, and the market economy, and can be understood within the broader framework of food sovereignty. Seeds also have very specific ties to the birthwork movement, with, with the seed being understood as a womb and representing a life source. For some native people, seeds themselves are even required in ceremonies following the birth of a child. Well, and that's sort of like why things like Native Seed Keepers Alliance exists. And if you want to hear a great episode about that, check out our friends over at Revolutionaries Garden, um, who's doing awesome content there for people to get started with where they're at mm-hmm. uh, as far as food sovereignty is concerned um, and trying to feed their neighbors. Um, you know, we could think about a larger discussion, though. Oh, actually. 
now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. No, no, that is the right place. Okay. But there's also Pro, Pro, Poor Pearl's Almanac. That's another good source uh, as far as podcasts go. Um, and you'll get a, a lot of interesting perspectives. They're doing like um, East Coast Thistle. Not Thistle. I, I don't know what to call it. I forgot what they called it. But uh, basically it's like a natural wall instead of a fence. Yeah. And so he came up with this idea for these packets because he got a new neighbor and wanted thicket. It's a thicket. Yeah. Jesus. But anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so then I was like, man, giving out seed packs for people to just go gorilla planting for me. Yeah. Now that's teaching a man out of fish. Anyway, but yeah, there's a you know a lot to consider. Um and I think those are great places to start the conversation. Upstream had a conversation with uh, Poor Pearl's Almanac, and um, where he tries to clarify agro uh, agro ecology versus permaculture. Yeah, um, and he says permaculture is more white, but I would say permaculture just tries to encompass anything that's useful in regenerating the soil to a better condition than it currently is. Sure. You know, um, something that has permanent results on the environment. Right. Uh, whereas agroecology is more of like a scientific application of that idea. Right. So permaculture is more anarchistic, whereas agroecology is, probably more preferable to Marxist Leninists. And I'm willing to admit that. I don't know. I'd have to learn more, but mm-hmm. it's an interesting conversation nonetheless. And I would really like other people's thoughts. Um, yeah. Hence why I recommend it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. So native seed keepers Alliance though, they do this wonderful thing where they, um, you know, they'll go up to anybody and be like, can I farm on this little patch of land that you have here? That you're not doing anything with? You know, can I rent that out from you? And then freaking uh, they'll cultivate seeds and then give them back to the owners of the seeds or like the original cultivators, I should say. Yeah. Um, which is super respectful, super cool, and um, is a standard that people should be following. Good. Cool, cool, cool. Um, seed sovereignty is constantly threatened by community by commodity culture through big agricultural seed patents. Cross-pollination with genetically engineered contaminants and laws catering to agricultural companies that make traditional seeds illegal to grow and possess. The genetic mutation of seed throughout through the cross-pollination from GMOs, for example, can have deleterious effect on the offspring of the plant. And likewise, the experiences and environmental exposures, whether negative or positive, can impact three generations in one pregnancy. A human fetus develops every egg they will ever have while still in utero in the womb. If biological parent is exposed to contaminants, their unfertilized eggs are also exposed. Seeds have natural connotations, cultural connotations related to birth, belonging to a place, and ceremonies around how we claim our kin, food is quite literally medicine and a cultural foundation for a community to thrive. Imperial borders directly affect our trade and seed sharing with our relatives internationally. That we have traditionally traded with 
while big agriculture actively suppresses and kills the varieties of sacred foods and plants in favor of mass-produced GMOs. Food monopoly tycoons are trying to patent indigenous seeds we have grown since time immemorial, therefore stealing and monopolizing sacred life-sustaining plants. The introduction of big agricultural crops into small indigenous economies across Turtle Island is systematically destroying local economies as they cannot compete with price difference differentials. In Mexico, the birthplace of corn, GMO seed companies drastically reduced the price of corn so much that local markets crashed, sparking a movement calling for banning of GMO seeds across regions. Indigenous people on and off the reservation need foods that are whole healthy and indigenous in their diet. Children, elders, children, elders, and birth givers are the most marginalized groups for food security. While native land is stolen for big agricultural projects, native people are not allowed to access the goods grown on their own lands. The market sees that these goods are exported elsewhere, making it impossible for local subsistence economies to exist. Meanwhile, the state neglects native communities that lack infrastructure such as grocery stores to ensure nutritious foods are accessible. Capitalism is why only the cheapest foods are able to make it to the most rural areas. Even in the event that healthy food is available, it is often unaffordable. It is easier and more convenient for someone struggling to survive and working full-time to buy ready-made foods than it is to access foods that are locally grown and contain less chemicals and a smaller carbon footprint, since the distance between farm and table is shorter. It is cheaper and therefore more profitable to sell unhealthy foods that can sit on a shelf or be prepared in a matter of minutes, but less healthy for the consumer. The priority is profit in the system. It is also the reason why healthy foods are inaccessible for low-income families, in rural and urban communities, this translates into having to travel great distances and therefore spend more income to get a grocery store that sells healthy food at affordable prices. Big agricultural products projects should be understood as projects of resource extraction. Resource extraction depletes and pollutes the soil, making the land unusable for generations and minimizing available land for growing food. This creates the need for expensive, long-term environmental restoration, rather than caretaking the land and see that it is restored for long-term food production, federal food programs, such as commodity distribution programs, try to compensate for the destruction capitalism colonialism has caused to native food systems. However, distributing, distributing foods that we <laughs> that are not indigenous has a negative impact on health and well-being in the long-term creating Issues like obesity, uh, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and other negative health impacts. Yeah, I mean, they will. It, foods that are prepackaged are loaded with fucking just so much goddamn sugar. Like, so much. And so much and sodium, too. So much sodium. Those are like the two choices. Yeah, it's like, you want sodium or sugar or both? <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, the shit you buy at the store is not healthy. Diabetes or cholesterol problems. <laughs> I mean, people look at, like, oh, America has, you know, this obesity problem. And aside from, like, you know, the fat phobia that proliferates in that, and, um, of course... Even then, Mexico's more obese than us now. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, like, you know, I mean, a, a, so 
setting aside the, the fat phobia of, of that whole concept and the way people overtie it to health, a lot of times um, weight gain and health are tied together because they can come from the same cause, like, I don't know, too much goddamn sugar, which is a systemic issue, not an individual choice pro problem. Well, this is like, you know, oh, you need to go vegan to solve all your issues. And it's like, yeah. oh, good for you for going vegan or whatever, but I'm broke. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you do have to get enough calories in in a day, and that is hard to be healthy and and vegan and cheap. That's not this world. Right, I mean, you end up eating so many vegetables. I I try. I try Mm -hmm. to replace my meals with all veggie meals. It's something I attempt to do. The issue is the price. In the summer, Mm -hmm. well, in the growing season, like when I can grow food in the yard, it's different. Yeah. You know, but like... That is a minor solution to a systemic problem. It is not even a solution. It's a it's a paste for myself only in yeah. that moment. Yeah, yeah. You know, and wow. maybe I can share it with my neighbors. Well, and and then too, even like one of the few foods that's cheap and filling and healthy is you know rice and beans, right? And you can do that over and over. The problem is rice and beans. Um, also have one very specific health problem they can lead to that is also led to by the immense amount of sugar in junk food, and that's constipation, which is also something that is spiking, um, especially in children, you know, across the country. And that causes a myriad of health issues in and of itself down the road. So th- there's not like a perfect solution out there. Um, well, I mean, like that's solved with like a higher fiber diet, though, and then like you're already getting like diet where are you fiber sourcing fiber? Yeah. But my suggestion is you also invest in a big bag of lentils mm. and you sprout them because mm-hmm. when you sprout lentils, not only does it increase the fiber, it also triples the caloric intake. Wow, that's just by putting water on them in a jar. I, it's pretty easy. I didn't know that. Yeah, you can start a like tabletop operation and like start saving some money. I mean, it sucks. It yeah sucks. Get some soy sauce. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. You learn a trick or two trying to survive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, land return. Our land. Can we acknowledge that it's not bold faced? It is not bold-faced. It is definitely a section within a section, and it is not bold-faced, but it's clearly a title. So No, wait. no, I think this is a new section, and I think the editors aren't the best at their job. Oh, okay. paid $70,000 a year for no reason. Okay, well, it's a not bold section within Area 2. Um, land return. Our land, air, and waterways are polluted from capitalist endeavors, government mismanagement, and militarization. Traditional caregiving and sustainability do not disrespect or cut kinship with our land, water, air, and other than, other than human relatives. Our mountain relatives are under military control and have been contaminated with nuclear waste, radiation, from contaminated water to contaminated animals and plants, and even the clay we use. This has affected every corner of life and our ability to sustain our relatives. This catastrophic offense will take years beyond our generation's lifetimes to clean and restore. And I think this is an important part to read the Marx quote again. The essence of the fish is its being. Water. 
To go on further than this one proposition, the essence of the freshwater fish is the water of a river. But the latter ceases to be the essence of the fish when it is no longer a suitable medium of existence as soon as the river is made to serve industry, as soon as it is polluted by dyes and other waste products, and navigated by steamboats or as soon as it is diverted into canals where simple drainage can deprive the fish of its medium of existence. However, we are the fish and Mm -hmm. capitalism is reaching its final conclusions there. What is after late stage capitalism? It's, it's extinction. Yeah. You have the choice of revolution through decolonization or extinction. Those are our choices. And that is based in Marx and you need to catch up Mm -hmm. if you don't think it is. Having control over our ancestral territories is vital to our ability to care for them and is generations long is a generations long pathway to true sustainability. Only when land is restored and returned can we begin to rebuild our economies and our nations with true sovereignty. Having a say in how the land is cared for would allow us to reassert our relations with the land and our non-human relatives, which is the basis upon which indigenous people divide their nations and sovereignty. Not divide, define. Oh, define. Oh, my goodness. I read the damn wrong. I I read the white person version of of (laughs) (laughs) Divide nations. One of the biggest examples, right, is... um, uh, how you can see language groups on the West Coast directly correlating with uh, bear species. Yeah. So wherever there's a new bear species, all of a sudden you see a different language group. So it's almost as if we were trying to act as a scientifically proven coevolutionary species with a more apex predator such as bear. That would be my guess. I'm not a biologist. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm pretty fucking smart. So I'd like to say that my guess is pretty good. Uh, Because, you know, a lot of people have tried to challenge me when I go, yeah, the Bering Land Strait's not real. And I will mop the floor with you. So that, you know, suck it. Anyway. <laughs> Come at me, reactionaries. Um, that said, uh, remediation in places where native ancestral homelands have been heavily polluted or diminished by resource extraction or militarization, the use of contemporary agricultural and horticultural practices may need to be taken up alongside traditional knowledge. We can incorporate hydroponic and aquaponic food systems into our life ways while the land is in remediation from extractive and military projects that have caused immense devastation. Hydroponics and aquaponics allow food to be grown without being planted in the soil or using groundwater and allow food to be grown indoors throughout the year. For indigenous people, we can decolonize and restore balance and harmony to our food security and sovereignty through planting community gardens, using our planting, harvesting, and ditch work songs. 
We can use our knowledge of waterways, seed storage, seed exchange, dry farming, and waffle gardens to revive our gardening traditions. We can uh, we can do this in a way that is culturally and spiritually grounded, so our prayers support the health and well-being of our communities. Everyone can help to restore indigenous seed economies by trading with indigenous folks around the world. Historically, we have elaborate trade networks in place which allowed for the transfer and trade of seeds, meats, and agricultural knowledge. Oral histories of Pueblo people tell that the way we would create seed repositories in other communities, sometimes hundreds of miles away, to protect these crops from devastation of European invasion, where food sources were often targeted for destruction. We can disregard imperial borders imposed on us by reinvigorating the non-capitalist ancestral trade networks. We can revive and reintegrate traditional ways of harvest management through cooperative and exchange with others, thereby strengthening traditional and sustainable economies. (sighs) Damn. There's just so much. It's like, oh, what, what, what could we provide suggestions? Oh, no, they're there. There you go. (laughs) In order to survive current challenges and any future challenges, our food sources, we suggest remaining flexible, open, and willing to learn new ways to be healthy. This includes how food is prepared and handled. Having direct contact from seed planting to harvest honors traditional food sovereignty. We suggest reviving old recipes and creating new recipes in which Nutrient-rich foods are centered, where fruits and vegetables are our main source of vitamins. And a perfect example of this is the North American traditional indigenous food sovereignty network, or natives. I hate it. Anyway. uh, (laughs) Isn't that bad? Sorry. (laughs) Natives, I hate it. Anyway, that's ran by Sean Sherman or the sous chef. A lot of people know his book uh, or have seen some mass media post about him. Uh, but like they do a lot of work like this. And there's a lot of different things already set up to be tapped into by communists. Like you do not have to reinvent the wheel. You have to get people on your side that are already engaged in praxis that is complementary to our project. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> uh, where were we? Uh, the widespread labeling of foods containing genetically engineered and transgenetic ingredients must be mandated for food justice allowing people i don't know if that's necessary uh out of my personal opinion (laughs) (laughs) allowing people the option of informed consent of what they are consuming we must be in solidarity with indigenous communities globally and shared resistance on banning gmo transgenic seeds and work towards creating genetically engineered free zones across nations which is necessary that is necessary just because the pollution effect of these uh, pollens um, destroy uh, your crops. So like there's this old tale of this guy who had record breaking corn, right? Yeah. And um, a reporter comes and hangs out and he's talking to him about it. And he's like, how, how, you know, um, what do you do? And he's like, Oh, just hang out and you'll see, you'll see how I do it. And so he starts going around and he gives seeds from his best crops to his neighbors, right? Uh, 
Uh-huh. And uh, he's like, why are you giving your neighbors your good seeds? And he says, it's because the pollen will come back to my field. And if I'm surrounded by a bunch of shittier plants, it's going to downgrade my plants. If all the plants surrounding me are also great corn, my corn will only get better. Hmm. It's a very simple logic. Like you can be selfish by being kind. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Weird how nature works like that. Anyway, almost like communism is like good for the individual as well as the collective. Yeah. Um, Who would have guessed? (laughs) (laughs) Where were we? Uh, Let's see. Genetic free zones. We look to the work. Uh, we look to the work already being done by the New Mexico Food and Seed Sovereignty Alliance to preserve traditional and sustainable agriculture and the traditional Native American Farmers Association, TNAFA, and the New Mexico Asequea, Achequea, I don't know, NMAA collaboration on a declaration of seed sovereignty, a living document for New Mexico, which offers 30 points highlighting the devastation of indigenous land and agriculture and lays out a framework for the restorations. I will learn like the grand Canyon used to have like a bunch of peaches and shit. Yeah. Really? Like in the middle of the fucking desert. (laughs) Well, and I mean, a lot of people don't realize that there's a bunch of forest all around the grand Canyon anyway, Yeah, but like, there used to be food. Hmm. Like there's still motherfuckers who live in the Grand Canyon. I don't know if you know that. Like we still like there are indigenous people living in there. Hmm. Like fuck, I know a guy who uh he actually uh, his he was a DNR dude. Uh DNR kind of shitty, but this is more of a research guy, so he's cooler. Yeah. But anyway, so he goes down to the Grand Canyon and he's on this expedition. I mean, he's like my age when he's doing this. Real cool shit. I mean, you know, like probably one of the few people I've seen that have lived a similarly interesting life as me. Um, So I'm like, yeah, here, a cool story. I love hanging out with him. He just lives a few houses down. So, But he starts talking about, I forget what it's called. It's like a humpback something, though. And uh, they're trying to restore its population to the uh, Colorado river, right? Yeah. Because there had been a heavy um, invasive, well, a heavy invasion of brown trout due to fisheries upriver uh, in the different States. Right. And so they spent a long, and this guy's vegan too. So I just find it really funny, but uh, they spent a long time, like systematically fishing out, all the trout and murdering them. They ate a lot of fish over the summer. And like, uh, you know, there's a bunch of teams doing this and stuff. And then um, they introduced, like they had to bring a helicopter in to the grand Canyon and like slowly, like lower the crate. So you could like carry the fish out in buckets. Um, But then, uh, you know, theoretically they did the job, right? Yeah. Uh, by the end of it, climate change causes a mudslide that kills them all while they're spawning. Um, yeah. Isn't that a nice way that story ends? Uh, but that could have actually, you know, been a step towards actual food sovereignty. That's just being, and that's being led by white people, you know? Um, but 
you know, like most of those trout probably weren't eaten. How much of it was thrown out? You know, like there's a bunch of different ways to look at this story. Yeah. Right. Especially when you know that I'm, this is in New Mexico. Like, the, like I'm not like <laughs> talking on my ass here. I know quite a bit about the region, actually. Like, uh, I grew, I was born in Colorado. You know? <laughs> so the Southwest is quite literally my home. Uh, yeah. but like, uh, you know, I, I'm Oglala, so I've been all over, but like, uh, my sister's, uh, Navajo. And she's uh, from Shiprock, uh, related to. They actually have a Lakota name. Funny enough, the pumpkin seeds. <laughs> like whenever you hear like one of those like classic like, oh deer horn or you know yeah. four horn or you know little thunder or like yellow bird or some shit like that, you know it's that's like probably Lakota, you know. <laughs> but anyway. Um, we know that a result of being forced into the capitalist economy, Native nations have been pr- pressured into selling their land and resources, making contracts with extractivist corporations in the name of economic development, quote-unquote. Native nations are only allowed to engage in economic development in just a few ways as domestic-dependent nations, gaming, tourism, and the selling of land and resources, among the most common. For this reason, many tribal governments actively work with extractivist corporations or military branches for the minuscule profit that can be gained from allowing such occupation. We could pressure our tribal governments to cut ties with corporate polluters who aid the devastation of land in the name of economic development. We can divest from the big banks that fund extractive projects both as individuals and as native nations. We can stand against continued land devastation by organizing and participating in protests, blockades, and encampments. We can urge our tribal governments to assert their sovereignty and rebuild our relationships with native peoples beyond U.S. borders to restore knowledge and trade. This is how we can heal the land and rebuild our economic frameworks to end dependence on the settler state. Um, they don't list other options specifically because they're trying to appeal to a larger mm-hmm. voice, right? Yeah. Um, to me, that's dishonest and lib shit, whatever. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't care. This is a good stepping off stone, though, for you know people like CPUSA who still believe in bill of rights communism at the very least adopt the red deal as your fucking platform for indigenous people yeah yeah i mean there's just there's no there's no reason to to lionize any of the initial settler shit that's like these ideas can be leveraged no don't don't no 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 um just get rid of the goddamn settler colony that's it's step one that's step only you can't get anywhere without abolishing the state and rebuilding a new one in its place. And that new one is not going to be anything if it's still a settler colony. Right. And I think, um, I think a lot of people's misconceptions of it is that they only know the United States. Yeah. And so when they hear 500 unique nations, they go, Organization. Yeah. And it's like, you don't know what that word means. 
<laughs> for explicitly calling for socialism in this. Yeah. Like that's balkanization explicitly called for capitalism. I don't I don't know if you know history. <laughs> that's like a uh recently Rainer Shia posted some shit that was basically like revolution is when country big what yeah that's what it could be boiled down to oh, revolution geez. when country big it, like it because if you take him at his word and that he's not supporting white supremacy settler colonialism yeah that's the only explanation yeah otherwise it's oh you have materially benefited from this project and you're trying to maintain it in some way that seems familiar to you for comfort and easement yeah you know because you think you can have a revolution by foregoing the colonial question fool anyway <laughs> ho chi minh will have some words with you in the afterlife um area three land water air and animal restoration Recent studies show that although the world... Three- and I'm going to stop right here to... Inter- no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> making a joke that we always make things take a long time. Uh, <laughs> that although the world's 370 million indigenous people make up less than 5% of the total human population, traditional indigenous territories encompass between 22 to 25% of the world's land surface and coincide with areas that hold 80 to 90% of the planet's biodiversity. The... And and more conservative numbers would say 10%. That's the number I quote all the time is 10%. Whereas if you're, we're being more liberal about how much land is native land, you yeah. know, we protect a lot more. Mm-hmm. It's just people like it's proven. It's proven. Um, the greatest diversity of indigenous groups exists within the tropical forests of the Americas, Africa, and Asia. And 11% of the world's forests are legally owned by indigenous peoples and communities. And I think this is the 11% there is where a lot of people get that number for the, the uh, 85% oh, diversity. Okay. Um, yeah. But once you start including all of the indigenous land and stuff, the numbers start to fluctuate weirdly. And, you get into that conundrum of when you like measure a coastline, it just yeah. gets infinitely larger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we have map makers in the audience, but yeah, interesting <laughs> stuff. Uh, these forests, like the Amazon, are the lungs of the world, producing about 20% of the oxygen in our Earth's atmosphere. Climate research indicates that one of the most alarming aspects of the current environmental crisis is the loss of biodiversity which affects human survival by interfering with crucial ecosystem maintenance, such as pollination and water purification. Loss of biodiversity threatens land, air, and water, relatives with whom we share this world. Of the 4 billion species that have evolved over the last 3.5 billion years, 99% have gone extinct. The rate of extinction had always been balanced by the evolution of new species, but there have been five exceptions to this pattern, five instances of mass extinction when the rate of species loss was so great that the biodiversity of the Earth was drastically reduced. 
These instances were caused by sudden cataclysmic events such as a series of massive volcanic outbursts, major asteroid impacts, or dramatic sea level change. A re- <laughs> dramatic sea level change is kind of a damning one right now. Um, a recent oh, I mean, like, it, and that's this has been going on. Sure. Like, this is something we've talked about forever now. Mm-hmm. Peter Kropotkin observed the glaciers receding. Yeah. Like, <sighs> yeah. A recent study shows that there has been an increasingly rapid rate of species loss over the last few centuries when compared to the normal rate of extinction. These findings show species are going extinct at a rate of up to 100 times the background rate. In other words, extinction rates have reached the level of unparalleled since the dinosaurs died 66 million years ago. There is no longer any doubt that we have entered the sixth mass extinction in the Earth's history. After the last mass extinction event that caused the extinction of the dinosaurs, it took hundreds of thousands of years for species and biodiversity to recover. Extinctions and reductions in biodiversity are directly linked to land degradation. In places where the health of the land has been destroyed through pollution and hyperexploitation, biodiversity diminishes. Yet, where indigenous people have freedom to caretake the land, biodiversity flourishes. This is because, as opposed to capitalism, indigenous people around the world do not see themselves as separate from the land. For us, land, plants, animals, (laughs) um, and water are our relatives. The soil is alive and interacting with the air, waterways, and all other than human creatures. The indigenous perspective looks forward to the future of our children, our children's children, and to the well-being of all living things. It also looks back to the wisdom of our ancestors. This intimate relationship between past, present, and future allows for close observation of the interactions and interdependencies between species across time and space. It allows for reverence of the land which in which humans live in balance with all other beings. I decided to Google mm-hmm. um, how many species are dying every day. Oh, geez. Right? I was like, surely that can't be, can't be that high of a number, right? Not, not going to be a good number. Three each hour, says Fuck. Reuters. Fuck. Excuse me? Three each hour? That's a little higher than I expected. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I it's mean, hard it's for rooters, anyone. But fuck, yeah, it's hard for anyone to wrap their heads around because it's so dramatic. Um, and then, like for people that are actually, you know, giving a shit and 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 aware of nature like us, it's still hard. Imagine how hard it is for people that like they hear extinction and the only thing they can think of is like large mammals and birds. They can't comprehend that like 90% of this is, you know, an insect and an insect that's vital to, you know, plant biodiversity, which feeds in turn the large mammals and birds or sea life, um, you know, things like that, right? Coral is going extinct, but that that is a massive, massive difference in the entire biodiversity of Earth. Uh, and I guess we should just finish up this paragraph and then mm-hmm. end here. Yeah. So, water, air, animal, and human restoration depends upon the health of the land. 
Restoring the land and our commitment to living in balance with our relatives is thus key to securing a future for all. Current statistics about mass extinction, biodiversity, and air quality show irrefutably that land cannot simply be restored by technological fixes or environmental protections educated in settler institutions. Land restoration must center indigenous land stewardship and multi-species caretaking. And, and multi-species caretaking is important, too, because, again, you can't just balloon one species and ignore the interactions with other species around it, right? This is a, a whole ecosystem that, that we're caretaking and restoring. Um, and thus, the mass return of land to indigenous nations and the implementation of true indigenous self-determination, if we are to have any hope of future on this planet. And that is where we'll wrap up. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Wait, why did I do the Burger King? I don't know. <laughs> ba -da -ba -ba -ba. I'm loving it. That's not Burger um, King. <laughs> oh, that's McDonald's. <laughs> Fuck me. Uh, I swear. You would never believe I'm an American. <laughs> oh my god. Fuck. That's like when white people tell me, it's like, no, you'd be instantly pegged as American wherever you go. It's like, I don't think I would. <laughs> I barely speak English. I, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck to tell y'all. Um, but anyway, this has been Mark's Madness, where we read books. Mm -hmm. And this was The Red Deal. Uh, I was your co-host, Shungmani, too. That was David. <laughs> I'm David. Uh, there used to be a guy named Nathan. He's kind of behind <laughs> the scenes now, uh, dealing with some mental health stuff. Yeah, um, and Indefinitely. Yeah, I, I, that's a terrible <laughs> sentence. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, all all is good. Mm -hmm. uh, you objectively. Yep you you can get a hold of us um, at uh, at uh, Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter at uh, Bands Island on Twitter at Chunkalutin nineteen seventy three on Twitter. Um, all three of those also, uh, bands of turtle Island at gmail.com, Mark's madness pot at gmail.com and chunk to 1973 at gmail.com as well as in the discord. There's a Mark's madness discord, um, used to kind of come from Devon awful and then got taken over, uh, as the Mark's madness one. Uh, Nathan so that's the a, official discord. That's the official Mark's madness discord. Um, there's also one, um, that for $1 Patreons to chunk uh, to and get that's in, the unofficial official. That's the unofficial official one. <laughs> Watch movies, things like that. Um, yeah, on the it's not worth it. <laughs> on the Marks, I'm a salesman. Hi. <laughs> on the Mark's Madness one, you'll see you actually see Nathan there a lot still. Um, Shungmani too uh, pops in there quite a bit. I pop in one called on. Um, the Chunkaluta one, um, you'll it's see. It's a work in progress, but I yes. imagine it'll be a good community once it, I imagine, time. and I imagine once it gets going, you'll see, you know, me and Shugmani too, and, um, Nathan all there. Um, uh, other than that, you know, obviously, um, the Patreon we just plugged for Chunkaluta, it's still under, it's at Zakata or no, it's, uh, um, patreon.com slash Zitkato tin can. It's Zikato's tin can, but... The URL isn't doesn't have the possessive s. It's oh. just Z I T K A T O T I N. I fucked up. Is what David's telling us. No, 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 no. You just can't spell. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that was the same way to say the same thing. Um, uh, and with that, 
uh, get out there, organize, take take care of the land around you, and we Grow will see you all next week. Grow a potato. Um, <laughs> keep, keep some seeds, exchange some seeds, and we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye.